Welcome to Soho Bites, a Soho on Screen podcast. I'm Jing-An Young, a writer and researcher of London Soho in post-war British cinema. In each episode, I invite a special guest on to talk about their favourite Soho film. And for this episode, I had the pleasure of talking to Nathan Abrams, Professor of Film at Bangor University, about the small world of Sammy Lee. Released in 1963 and directed by Ken Hughes, the film stars Anthony Newley as Sammy, a strip club compere who must beg, borrow, and steal the gambling debt that he owes a Soho gangster. Hello. Oh. Hello, Mr. Connor. Well, now, there's a funny thing. I was just about to call you. I look in my little book and I see I owe you 200 quid. 300 quid? Well, I, uh, I really ought to think about settling up with you, didn't I? I mean, it's been how long? Two months? Six months? Well, our time flies, eh? Well, look, Joe, uh, Mr. Connor, I'll, uh, I'll be round your office on Saturday. I could drop the money in then. Hmm? Now? Oh, Joe, you must be kidding. Well, I mean, where am I going to get that kind of money at this time of the day? Well, I mean, the bank's closed at three, isn't they? Don't be long, Sammy. Leave off a minute, will you? Oh, now, Joe, don't be like that. Joe. Where do you think I've got 300 quid stuck away in my body belt or something? Shouting, who's shouting at? Barney Thompson, yeah, I know all about Barney Thompson. Yeah, he's got 24 stitches in his head. And he only owed you 200 quid. Certainly I can multiply. Sammy. Joe, Mr. Connor, look, I've got a job to do here. I can't leave the theatre, you know. You'll send somebody round to collect it, will you? Oh, great. I talked to Nathan over Skype, and we both discussed the possibility of reading the film from a British-Jewish perspective and the importance of placing it in that context. Soho in the, in the 50s and 60s, you have to include Jews because it's part, they're part of the fabric of Soho life. To not do so would be to hide it. So I think in this way, it's not forced. It's not hidden either. I think what's hidden is that the small world of Sammy Lee possibly doesn't enjoy the reputation as a canonical 60s film in the way that some other films from the 60s might do. If you see who, who who the critics choose as the films that we should watch from that decade, it's very difficult to do. But they might choose one over another, or they'll look at a Carol Rice film, but ignore anything to do with his background. So you can see, it's not the filmmakers that are hiding it, I think it's the critics and the scholars in the past who are hiding it. And when did you first become interested in researching British cinema, specifically, um in the Jewish context? Well, my interest comes from, um, I was asked to teach a module on British cinema and um, I looked through it. And the interesting about British cinema is it's sort of mainly taught from this national cinema perspective. And um, that often tends to exclude minorities and, and, and the constituent nations in the UK, unless you make a specific effort to teach Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland. Um, and canonical British films, um, even where they are Jewish, that kind of aspect's ignored, like Chariots of Fire. Um, so, it, so what I wanted to do was include films that fit my own research interests on Jews, Jewishness and Judaism on film, but also could be taught, subsumed within um, a module on um, British cinema. And, and, and Sammy Lee, the small world of Sammy Lee, fits that perfectly. Um, as a way of looking at the 1960s, but also at looking at issues of Jewishness um, in British cinema, which is a really underexplored topic. And one which um, we'll be looking at in March 2019 for Jewish History Month, um, looking at the theme of big screen, little screen, Jews in British cinema and television. 
So one of the arguments I make in my work, I think, you know, you haven't heard me, so, <laughs> is the Jewish minority in the UK is tiny, you know, 0.45% of the total population. And outside of metropolitan areas like London and Manchester and maybe some holiday destinations, people won't have experience of Jews, um, nor will they necessarily know any Jews. So in order to represent Jews on the screen, you have to overcode it. And, and typically there's two ways of doing that. Number one, you either make them look like a chassid in the black hat and the, and the curly uh, side locks and the black kaftan. Or if they're a woman, you, uh, you make them speak in a very accented uh, uh, English, whether they're 10 or 110 or whether they got off the boat in 1910 or were born in 2010. You know, they all, they all have this kind of Yiddish-Jewish inflection. And it's a cliche that just persists, um, although very, very few people talk in that way anymore unless they're part of a particular community. Mm -hmm. um, mainstream British Jews might have an identifiable accent, but it won't be the one that you hear on screen. Um, and then a recent example was the opening of Disobedience, where the elderly rabbi sounds like he got off the boat, you know, although clearly he was probably British-born. Mm. And, um, you know, these are lazy kind of performative mm. cliches that still continue to mar British Jewish film. For me, one of the most opening, eye-opening quotes I ever read was about the movie Pie, Darren Aronofsky's first movie, where someone just said, at last, um, a Jew who sound, who's got an accent of someone who was educated in a crappy Brooklyn yeshiva. And I think with that in mind, it's worth listening to a clip from Sammy, in which Sammy travels from Soho to Whitechapel to beg his brother Lou, played by the marvellous Warren Mitchell, for the £300 that he owes to the bookie. It is an extremely poignant scene, filmed entirely on location in Whitechapel, and is the only opportunity we're given to travel beyond the peripheries of Soho. So, have a listen. Two, four, six, eight, ten. Uh, write down ten things of Frankfurt that would answer our crowd. We've got any more in the back? There's about two boxes, Mr. Lehman. What do you mean about? We're stock taking. We're not playing guessing games. I'll find out. I'll be with you in a minute. And uh, write down another dozen things, pickle cucumber. Now, what can I get you? Sammy! <laughs> Schleimer! <laughs> Ah, it's good to see you. Nice to see you. Man. <laughs> hey, you're such a stranger you've become. Here, Sydney. Sydney, look who's here. It's my brother Sammy. Uh, <laughs> well, let me look at you. Here, you don't look well. Huh? You look ill. You're not eating enough. Yeah. Ah, it's that rotten life you're leading. Working after night. It's no good to you. A man should get up in the morning and do a day's work. Like Dad always said. Like Dad always said. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... So apart from the fact that you look terrible, how are you? As are you. <laughs> Sydney. Sydney, what are you doing? What are you doing? Get up with the stuff, Peggy. What are you doing? You're mad. So, you've been here five minutes and you don't even ask me how's business? So how's business? Don't ask. It's terrible. All of a sudden, everybody's on a diet. How's Millie? No, she's fine. You should be so pleased to see you. Listen, normally yeah. arguments, you're stopping the dinner. I'm sorry, Lou. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm in a bit of a hurry. Hurry? Mm. 
You, you're always in a hurry. Sorry, no, you know. So, to what do we owe the honour? No. I mean, a little spark of bother. What do you want, Stan? Believe me, Lou, you know I hate asking you because you've been. How much? 300. 300? I'm in terrible trouble, honestly. I, I should hope so for 300 pounds. I've got to have it by 7 o'clock tonight. 300 pounds? By 7 o'clock? 300 pounds by 7 o'clock? Here! Here! Wait! What do you want? 3, 400, take a grand! What do you want? You better take it with you or I shall, shall I send it? I've got a lunatic to give for a brother! Don't stay. There's only one. My dear brother, have a look around you. Look at all the business I'm not doing. Look at the customers fighting to get in the door. They can't take the money fast enough. Three hundred pounds. All right, Lou, you don't understand. I understand. I understand. You're a machine. Would I come to you if I wasn't in debt? Would I? Would you stop? Would you stop? Would you stop? Stop to Mrs. Harris. Oh, is the brisket fresh, Mr. Lehman? The brisket. Would you ask me? Oh, wait. Would you ask me brisket fresh? Would I tell you if it wasn't? Yeah, yeah. These films. Forgotten deliberately and for a reason, and 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 the thing I'm interested in is recovering. You know, let's look at um, Corder's studio. Well, let's look at his background. Let's look at Paul and Pressburger. Let's look at let's that side hasn't been dealt with. Let's look at um, Ealing Studios, uh, um, Carol Rice. I could go on. You get the idea. That whole dimension of 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 their background is ignored as if somehow they just became British and made British films and that their background has nothing to do with it. It's like a divorcing of the biography from the product, which is one way of doing film studies, but it seems to me that you know, we, we need to move away from that and look at, look at biography, history, archives, and bring it together and think, well, how, how did these individuals who work on these films, have, how did their history shape the product that we're watching? Not just say this is a British film, so how does this reflect Britishness in the 60s? I'll give an example. I mean, mm -hmm. James Bond, and that's what we're going to talk about, is this, this is like a, an, an iconic British franchise, right? That summarizes Britishness for the world, and, you know, and, and you know, the shaken, not stirred, and, and, and you don't eat red wine with fish, and, and, you know. Right, but who transformed those, um, those novels? Um, by a British writer into the franchise, well, a Canadian Jew and uh, an Italian American, right? So we need to think about that ethnic immigrant input into creating a canonical, iconic British franchise, franchise one which doesn't bear, which doesn't isn't a one-to-one -one translation of the novels. Before we say it, it's all Ian Fleming, again, carry on. There's loads of sort of. Jewish subversive sense of humour in there, Sid James, Bernard Breslauer, you know, and others. And if you watch um, Carry On Cleo, and they have the slave auction, and it's it's Warren Mitchell, um, and what the slave uh, auctioneers called uh, Marcus and Spencius, you know, Marks and Spencer, two immigrant Jews on our high street. Do people know that anymore? It's interesting thing is, one of the things I'm interested in now is our high streets change and evolve and the businesses change and evolve, is that as we walk down a high street across Britain, many of those businesses were started by immigrants to the UK. Um, they might have now disappeared, like the Lions coffee shops, um, but others remain, M&S, um, Burton, um, Blue, um, but do people know their ethnic history? 
and uh, so it's there in front of our face but hidden because we don't bother to look at it and that's very similar to British film and TV history is that these weren't just British people and, and they were I mean um, you know but they weren't um, they often their Britishness was quite new having just maybe immigrated there in the last you know a half century some of them um, or their parents and so there's more going on than just these are films that come out of Britain if that makes sense Mm-hmm. And when you come from an ethnic minority, obviously that ethnic minority is transnational. It's it's outward facing. It looks back to the where it came from, and it looks to other countries where maybe its its relatives went to. So if you're Jewish, you might be facing to the country you came from, in terms of Central Eastern Europe, but you might be facing towards countries where Jews are going, Israel, the United States. So when you look at a minority in a particular place it isn't just about that place it also is outward facing as well as inward facing and all this has been ignored if you want to know more about um, British Jewishness on film and TV you can check out my book Hidden in Plain Sight Jews and Jewishness and British Film Television and Popular Culture as mentioned before Jewish History Month is running in London and around uh, England Um, I I mean literally England uh, from um, Monday the 4th March and ends on the 31st of March at the Freud Museum where I'll be in conversation with Mary Wilde about Stanley Kubrick's psychoanalysis and Jewishness Um, there's a whole bunch of events incorporated um, and you can if you're interested read my book Stanley Kubrick New York Jewish Intellectual which discusses some of these issues and in later this year my book um, Eyes Wide Shut, Stanley Kubrick and the making of his final film will be released to mark the 20th anniversary of the release of that movie and of um, Stanley Kubrick's death in 1999. So um, keep an eye out, there's lots going on. And again, we can consider Kubrick a British Jewish filmmaker because um, he was Jewish, he made most of his films in Britain and he often adapted British novels um, such as Clockwork Orange, Barry Lyndon, um, or worked with um, British writers in terms of um, Peter George and Arthur C. Clarke. So, um, so there's, there's a very rich area, and I can only encourage more people like yourself and others to, to begin investigating it. You've been listening to Soho Bites, a Soho on Screen podcast. Please remember to subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud, and you can follow me on Twitter at SohoOnScreen.com. Jewish History Month begins next week, and you can book for any of the exciting events at jewishhistories.com. Thanks very much for listening.